This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. Tonight, we're, I want to talk about something a little bit different. I was reminded of an experiment years ago. In fact, it was back in the 50s, which actually was before I was born. And it was by a, a Harvard professor by the name of Kurt Richter. And Kurt Richter did an experiment with, with rats. He, he got some rats and he, and he had a large uh, glass high tubed or high side, uh, it wasn't a bowl, it was, it was really just a huge jar. And these rats could not get out. So he put water in it he, and he would drop the rats in and they were timing how fast these rats would swim before they would give up. And what he found was amazing was these rats would swim around for a little bit and then after about 15 minutes or so, they'd go to the bottom, they'd come back up, they'd go to the bottom again, and then they'd die. So he tweaked the experiment the next time, took some very similar type rats, put them in the same glass, huge glass jar, and as he put them in, he did something different. After about that 15 minute, when they were about to go under, they actually reached in and rescued these rats, pulled them out, dried them off, and in fact, it, one report said they held them. I don't know who held the rat, but anyway, they dried the little rat off and uh, gave them some rest only for a few minutes. And then they put them back in and they timed how long they would swim. And here's the amazing thing. When they put these rats back in, some of these rats swam for up to 60 hours. It was the, the difference between the rats that were not rescued and the rats that had been rescued once was huge. And it amazed this professor and, his, and, and all the research uh, folks that were with him. And they determined this, that when, when a helping hand has been given, when someone has, has the hope or the expectation that maybe it's not all to the end and there's, there's some hope out of this, he said, boy, you eliminate hopelessness, Richter said, and these rats just won't die. I mean, they swam around for a long time. Now you're thinking, Alan, I'm not a rat. I know you're not a rat, but the principle is the same. And the principle is this, is that if we have hope, if we have a reason to swim, if we, if we believe that something good can happen and will happen to us, it gives us strength. And it, as I, I thought about that story this, this morning, as I was actually reading uh, some of the scriptures and I was reading in the book of Romans, and there's a great, that 15th chapter, in fact, we just read it in our Project 365. It's a great, great chapter. But in, in Romans 15, 4, this is what it says. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And so I'm entitling this series that we might have hope because I realize that really what we're needing now, we, yes, we need answers. Yes, we need relief, but more than anything else, we need people not to lose hope during this time. And so this, this verse is giving us some insight. And as I begin to study that subject, I begin to realize that hope is a big thing. It's a big thing with God. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and he said, now there abides or there exists three things, faith, hope, and love. And he said the greatest of these is love, but it does not diminish the faith and hope and we need them both. And so we see that hope is necessary. Now, Wednesday nights, we spend a little bit more time and, and, and teach and, and, uh, and kind of dig into the word a little bit. But let me give you a, a definition 
of biblical, biblical hope. Because a lot of times when people think of hope, they think of wish. You hear people say, well, I'm just a, a wishing and a hoping. Uh, biblical hope is different. In fact, hope, biblical hope is the desire of some good with the expectation, expectation of obtaining it. It's a, to expect and not just to ex expecting something good where you are expecting something good. Those little rats were expecting for someone to pull them out of the water again. So they just kept on swimming. And so the idea is hope is expectation, but it's not expectation of bad. It's expectation of good. I can remember people talking about, uh, about things going on in their lives. And maybe you've said this, but people say things like, oh man, I just, you know, things are going too good. I just know the other shoe is about to drop. Well, that's a negative expectation. We don't want to have a negative expectation. I really believe that God wants us to have a positive expectation, a hope of something good. And in fact, he said he gave us the scriptures that through perseverance, perseverance, and, that's, and that word patience is actually perseverance because perseverance involves dealing with difficult circumstances. Patience, when, when the Bible will use another word for patience is long suffering. When the scriptures use long suffering, it's talking about dealing with difficult people or you're, you're just, well, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've been staying close quarters for a while. You, you know that you need long suffering. And, but this is, this is different. This is dealing with difficult situations and persevering. In other words, bearing up under difficult situations. So the scripture is saying, hey, these scriptures were written. The Bible is written. These stories are written that we could, through perseverance and the comfort of the scriptures, that we might have hope. That word comfort, another, another word for that is the encouragement of the scriptures. And I love that about God. The gospel means good news. And in the middle of bad news, I still believe these, these broadcasts are important. These, these internet, YouTube, Facebook, however you're watching, it's so important. And they're going on all over our country because right now, in this time, the message matters. And it matters a lot. But we need the encouragement of the scriptures because you're not seeing much encouragement anywhere else. But God can encourage us with the scriptures. You know, there's the scriptures that we read and then there's the scriptures that he, he speaks to my heart and our hearts. And, and those are scriptures that we can hold on to. It reminds me of, of, of a story that if, if you're a part of our church, you've heard this one before. If you're new, this is a new one for you. When I was uh, a, a young man, I grew up in a very good home. It was a Christian home. It, I had two parents that, that took me to church. We all went to church as a family. I had a mom that was a, a prayer. She just loved God and she was a prayer. She prayed for me. She prayed for me all the time. When I was 18 years old, just about to turn 19, I was selling books for a, a company called the Southwestern Book Company. I was out in Illinois and I was selling books and it was a, uh, it was a very challenging summer for me. And I, I remember walking across a field in Carbondale, Illinois, and I bowed my head and I, and I told the Lord, I said, Jesus, I've run from you all my life. I need you in my life. And I gave my heart to the Lord. I, I was born again walking across that field first week of June. And uh, it was, a, of course, like anything else, it changed me. And I, I was so excited and called my mom and, and we talked a lot. The challenge was, 
is that I was working, I was actually working seven days a week during the summer. The idea was you make a lot of money. I was selling books door to door, a hard job. And then on Sundays, instead of going to church, we had our meetings. So I never got a chance to get in the church. I, I didn't really know a lot about reading my Bible. I'd read my Bible a little bit. And when I went back to college, I went back and I was in a fraternity. It was, it was, a, it was not a, a service fraternity. It was a party fraternity. And I had some roommates and they were party people. And when I got back in, man, I was surrounded by all those party people. And I eventually just slipped farther and farther away from the Lord to the point where my mom actually came up and visited uh, me with, with my dad one for one weekend. And when she left, my father said she cried all the way home, two hour trip, because she knew I'd just gone, I'd just gone away from the Lord. But I, I stayed that way through college. And here was the guy who, who loved God, was on fire for God. All of a sudden you just went the other way. And maybe you're out there and maybe that's you, or maybe you're praying for a loved one that was doing well, and then they fell away. Good news is God's, God's still working and God was still working with me. So my mom, who's obviously in agony about this, was praying one night and she got up and she couldn't sleep and she got up and I was on her heart. My sister was on her heart and she, she went to the scriptures and my mom was real smart. She would, when she couldn't sleep, she would get up and read the Bible. And that was just a wise thing. She loved to read in Isaiah. And so she was reading in the book of Isaiah and these verses just jumped out to her. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. And they will spring up among the grass like willows by the water courses. She, she, she said when she read that, she said just something just came alive in her. And what was that? Well, that was the Holy Spirit taking God's word and, and bringing comfort to my mom and encouragement to my mom that me and my sister were going to come back to the Lord. That God was going to pour his spirit on us and his blessings on us. And the verse actually goes on to say, and one will, will say, I'm the Lord's. The other one will call himself by the name of Jacob. It's a long story. I won't go into the whole thing, but I will tell you this. During that time when I was in school, what that brought to my mother was hope. Those, those words just registered on her heart through, through perseverance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And those words brought, just came alive to her. And even though I wasn't doing well, and even though she didn't see any immediate change, she had a promise and holding on to that promise, it gave her an expectation of good. I graduated from college moved down to Texas. And within just a, a few months, I met a beautiful little Italian girl. That's a, a story for another time. It's a great story. But, but I, I came back to the Lord and called my mom and told her that, that I, I had come back. And of course, she's weeping and rejoicing. And when she hung up the phone, she was reminded of that scripture and how she'd held on to that. And that brought her hope. During these times, Thank God, God can still speak scriptures to our heart. He can still cause his word to come alive in us and it can bring us hope. So let's talk just a little bit tonight about how, do we, how are some ways that we can have hope when the situation around us does not look good. So one of the ways that we can do it is to really begin to, 
lean on our relationship with the Lord. I'm going to read in Psalms, the 33rd chapter. This is a great verse by someone who had a relationship with God. It was, it was great. It was, it was David. Uh, Psalms 33 says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his mercy to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield for our heart shall rejoice in him because we have trusted in his holy name. On those who hope in his mercy. Now, let me just give you some, some thoughts about this because they're good. He said, this is a passage that as you look at it, it can offer you comfort, can offer you hope. I love the fact that it says his eye is on us. He, he, he's, he's watching. He's not abandoning us. Those, those of us that have a reverence and a respect and those of us that have hope in his mercy. Now, I don't have hope in how perfect I am because I am not. I don't have hope necessarily and everyone around me praying for me, although I'm grateful for that. My hope is in the mercy of God, that God is mercy and he, his mercy is new every morning. He has never stopped with his mercy towards us, that we can have hope in his mercy. And then it, it, I like this. It says to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. And I'd grab a hold of that verse right there that we may be going through somewhat of a famine, but God can keep us alive and protect us right in the middle of a famine. And this is to deliver our soul from death. Now, let me just talk to you real seriously about something I feel like is a challenge here. One of the challenges that I believe that we're dealing with is not just the, the physical effects of the virus. It's not just the, the economic effects of what's taking place. It's the fact that it's weighing on our mind and our emotions. But the Bible says that God is able to deliver our soul from death. So listen to me. God does not want you despondent, in despair, and depressed. That is not his plan for your life. He can deliver your soul, your emotions, your mind from that. And this is the time where we're going to have to, to do some things. And one of the things that we can do is exactly what I just mentioned, is where we go to his word and we begin, begin to find words that speak to our hearts, words that resonate with our spirit. And instead of thinking all the time on the negative, you don't have to think on the negative all the time. You can think on a God who has mercy, on a God who sees you, on a God who can keep you alive in famine, and a God who does not want your soul in, in the darkness and fear of death. So we can resist that. And that's a good thing. So if that's something that you just start to feel, it seems like the walls are caving in and, and mentally you're, and emotionally, you're just like, I, I don't know if I can hold on. You can hold on. God will help you hold on. He'll deliver you. He, he hears you. The Bible said, I called on the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. So you hang on to that that you don't have to allow your soul just to, to go despondent and depressed. So the other one, it says, our soul waits for the Lord because he's our help and shield. He's a shield of protection. And this was spoken, of course, by a man who really dealt with a, a lot of difficulties in his life. David was constantly being pursued or attacked. And so he had a good understanding that God was a help and a shield to him. And it says, our heart rejoices because we trust in him. And because we trust in him, we're rejoicing. 
because we're expecting something good. So it goes back. David had a relationship. He's always talking about his relationship with the Lord. So we look to God's mercy. So we expect good from him. Now, now listen, that's a, it's key. We're looking to God's mercy. We expect good from him because we believe this. We believe that God is not the one who sent this. Listen, it is so hard to expect good if you believe God brought the bad. We need to realize God didn't bring this. He's not killing people with coronavirus. We believe God has answers and we're praying. I'm praying for research people. I'm praying for our medical, uh, our medical personnel that they, can, they, that they can find answers. And I believe there's answers and there's healing still. But God's not the one. You can't expect anything good if you believe God was the one who was bad to you. But if we turn that around, begin to go, God, you didn't send this, but you're merciful. You can keep me alive. You can do good things in my life. Then that's what we hold on to. And that's what can make a difference. So you can see where David, who had that personal relationship with the Lord, he's leaning on that relationship. And this is a great time. Maybe you've been away from God. Maybe your, your relationship with him just kind of became ho-hum. You know, this is a great time to just absolutely, you can make a heart change in a second. You can just say, Lord, I have not been where I want to be, but I'm turning this around. I'm drawing closer to you. You're my hope. You're my help. You're my shield. You're the one that delivers me and holds on to me. David had this relationship with the Lord and that made all the difference in the world. So we go to our relationship with God. The second thing we realize is that we can source hope by spending time in God's word. Psalms 119 verses 49 and 50. It says this, it says, remember the word to your servant upon which you have caused me to hope. This is my comfort in my affliction for your word has given me life. If you ever want to read a good Psalm, Psalms 119, I know it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's one of the best chapters in the Bible because it talks about the power of God's word in our life. And the, and the psalmist is saying, your word is what's given me hope. You know, you, you may look around and your company may be, may be going through difficult times or your job, you don't know what's in the future or you don't know what's going on. You have relatives and loved ones and you look around. We're not seeing a lot of really positive, happy things happening. But he's, he didn't say, I'm, I'm getting hope from what's around me. He said, your word can bring hope and it can bring hope to our life. And then I, I, I like something else he said. He said, this is my comfort and my affliction for your word has given me life. As I was praying today, I, I thought about what happens when, when we look for sources of comfort. And oftentimes when we hit these high pressure times and these high stress times, people run to, to sources of comfort that, that are temporary distractions, but they don't offer long-term help. And now you think about it. You, you could go toward binge TV watching. And I'm not, if you're binge TV watching right now, which a lot of people are, you know, just watch the content, but there's binge TV watching, there's gaming, there's internet. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those are, those are things that they're a distraction, but when you're done, it, it hasn't strengthened you. It's a distraction. And I know some of you are saying, Alan, if you had my kids, you'd be distracting them too. You'd, you'd have something for them to watch on all the time. I get it. But sometimes the, the, our need for comfort goes to other things. It goes to alcohol abuse or it goes to drug abuse. And I just want to encourage you at, at this time. It, it's, it's easier to go down that path. There's not as much resistance going down that path. 
But if you would just turn and look to God for his hope and his help. Now, this is this is something that's different. I realize sometimes when people talk about reading the Bible, reading the Bible is not the is, is not the easiest thing. And, and it seems like oftentimes there's resistance. You want to pick up your Bible and you're like, ah, that, that's kind of hard to do. Listen, if you look at reading your Bible like an exercise plan, it will help you. Those of those of you who are exercising, a lot of us are having to do it at home and that's really becoming interesting. But you know how it is with exercise. And I have found it because I'm having to exercise at home. If I can get past the first five minutes, I'm going to be okay. If I can just push past the first thing. So let me just encourage you on reading your Bible. If you can push past about the first two minutes, I won't give you five because, you know, our Bible 365, we, we estimate it's going to take you about three, three minutes and six, about four, four minutes to read the scriptures and read one chapter of the New Testament. So we've got a plan for you. And if you just get up and do it and, and don't, don't worry about how I don't feel like it, just push through it. Here's what you're going to find. If you'll do that, you'll find it does something good for you on the inside. And when it does something good for you on the inside, you'll begin to say, hey, this, this is comforting me. Some of these other things aren't comforting me, but this is, this is building something into me. It's causing me to have hope and it's comforting me right smack in the middle of my affliction. So we recognize that people are scared. We recognize that things are going on. And what we're saying is you can counteract that, but you'll have to, you'll have to push through. And it's not as hard as you think. If you'll just give it a few minutes and say, well, you know, not I just read and I don't even know what I read. Listen, I've read whole chapters. And after I finished the whole chapters, I'm like, I don't know a thing I read. Sometimes I'll go back and read it again. And sometimes I'll go back and read it again. Why? Because I know it's doing good for me. So if you understand the principle of exercise, you can understand the principle of reading God's word. Listen, some of us have more time now than we've had in a long time. Let me encourage you to do something that puts something good in you. Now, as we're talking about hope, I want to give you a story from the scriptures that I, I just think is one of the best uh, stories of hope. I've gone to it. I, all, all pastors have favorite stories. This is one of my favorites. It's kind of a obscure story in the Bible, but yet it's a powerful example of hope. It's, it's found over in 1 Samuel, the 11th chapter, and we'll read verses 1 through 5. 1 Samuel 11, 1 through 5. Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and he camped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, on this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. And the elders of Jabesh said to him, hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there's no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming from behind the herd in the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. I'll set the story for you. The story was set in Israel. It was the, it was the time that Israel had been a long time. They'd been governed by uh, prophets, people like Samuel, 
people, leaders like Joshua, they'd never had a king. And Israel was pretty much divided. They had all of their tribes and all of their people, but they were pretty independent. But they had just made Saul king. He was a, he was a brand new king. And so Nahash the Ammonite, Ammonites were constantly fighting with Israel. And this Nahash to me is just an absolute type of the enemy if there ever was one. Because not only was he content to defeat the people of Jabesh Gilead, he was, he was going to inflict punishment in their lives. Can you imagine having your, all your right eyes gouged out? Not just you, but your wives, your children, your, your grandparents, everybody there, everyone was going to have their right eye put out. Now that's just cruel and sick. But you can imagine the stress and the pressure that it put these people under. And here they are. There, there's, no, there's, there's no real uh, army that they can call on. Israel was kind of divided. So they said, look, we're just going to send out some messengers and we'll send out if anyone's going to help us. We give us seven days. I don't know why the guy gave him seven days. I guess he felt like no one was ever going to come and help them. But he gave him seven days. And they said, we're going to send out some messengers. And if, if, they, if they bring help, then we have help. If they don't, then, then we'll, we'll serve you. You can put out our right eye. Now, I, you, you think about the pressure. You talk about impending doom. You're, you're, you're there. You get up. You're, you're having breakfast with your family. You're looking at your little ones. You're looking at your wife. And you know that just in a few days, if help doesn't come, they are going to gouge out their right eye. That's just a horrible thought. The thing I, I appreciate about these guys is one, they said, let, let us send some messengers out. We'll do what we can. And I love the fact that they didn't give up. So, you know, the first day, nobody came back. The second day, nobody came back. Third day, nobody came back. Don't you know that they're not seeing any help? They're probably doing everything they can just to keep their spirits up. Maybe, maybe help will come. Maybe hope will come. Don't give up yet. They didn't, they didn't give up and go, oh, maybe there was someone saying, why don't we just surrender and get this over with? But they weren't doing that. They were holding out because they believed it's possible that somebody would come and help them. When Saul, Saul had just been made the king of Israel, there was a lot of division there about whether Saul should have been king. But when Saul came in from the field, he heard the people weeping. And they were weeping because they heard about what was going to happen to Jabesh Gilead. And they were weeping. It made me think about the fact that we're hearing a lot of negative news. Yesterday, Joy and I were together and she, she told me about different situations and we're hearing about negative people. I, and I, I thought, weeping about what's going on with other people, people that we don't even know, people that we do know loved ones, and I was thinking, weeping isn't going to help them and it's not going to help us. Can I just give you some encouragement? Don't weep, pray. Every time you hear something negative about people in, in Italy or people in, in New York or people, we all, we all just stop right there and say, Father, thank you for helping. Thank you for sending help. Thank you for your grace. And so instead of constantly dealing with the weeping and the negative, we're going to turn this around. And every time we hear something negative, we're going to stop and say, Father, would you help them? Would you bless them? Would you strengthen them? Thank you for answers. So Saul comes back and the people were weeping. And Saul, Saul gets fired up. In fact, the Bible said the spirit of the Lord came on Saul. And when it came on him, it, it, he, he rose up and he said, you, everybody better come out and fight. And they gathered a pretty good size army. 
They sent this army or sent messengers back to Jabesh Gilead. I want you to hear what they said. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow, now they're talking to Nahash now, Tomorrow we will come out to you, that's Nahash the Ammonite, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. Hoorah. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. And I love that. Back where I used to come from, we called that popping a top. And that's exactly what they did on these Ammonites. But they rolled in. But there's something, there's something in this story that, that expresses hope. Here are the men of Jabesh Gilead and they see messengers coming back. And you imagine they, they see messengers and the messengers, they're, they're moving fast and, and they're coming back into the city and they seem like they're encouraged. And so the men of Jabesh Gilead said, what's up? These messengers said, Saul said tomorrow by the time his son is, the sun is hot, you're going to have help. Now listen to what they did. It said the men of Jabesh Gilead were glad. Now wait a minute. They could have looked at the messengers and said, are you telling the truth? I mean, I don't know if you're telling the truth or not. And then who is, who is this Saul? We, I, I know, he's, I know he's, we crowned him king, but he hadn't done anything. He's got no track record. And where's the army? I don't see the army. They, they, there's lots of ways they could have balked at what was said to them. But these men had the promise from a king. And they took the promise from a king that before they ever saw help, before they ever saw an army, before they ever saw Nahash defeated, they believed that the promise of the king was going to come to pass and it made them glad. Why? They were expecting something good. Guys, when we're expecting something good, even though things may be negative on the outside, there's a hope in our heart and a gladness in our heart and a strength in our heart that even though I can't see it yet, I believe help is on the way. This is what they did. And Saul came through and it was one of, it, it really was a high watermark for Saul and began to establish the kingdom for him, but it delivered. They didn't have to gouge their eyes out. In fact, the Ammonites got wiped out, which was a really good thing. Now, let me give you this as I close. We are facing difficult times as a country and as a world, but we are not without help and we are not without hope. These are times that we are going to lean into our relationship with the Lord. These are times where we're going to take his word more seriously in our lives. And because we have hope, we're glad. We're not despondent. We're not in despair because in our hearts, we believe we're going to come through this. I believe you're going to make it through this. I believe our families are going to make it through this. I believe our churches are going to make it through this. And what that does is it gives us a gladness. We have the promise of the king, not a king, the king. I appreciate what our government's doing, but my hope is in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he's the one who we're resting our hope in. He's our hope. He's our help. He's our shield. He's our protection. He's the one who delivers our soul from death. He's the one who can strengthen us and give us hope in the middle 
of a dark time. Let me pray for you. And then I want to give you an opportunity to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your hope and your help and your strength. Father, I pray for individuals and families right now who are dealing with a lot of different things and uncertainty and uncertain times and scary times. And Father, I ask that you would comfort their hearts, that you would strengthen them by your word and by your spirit. And that, Father, that on the inside, even though there, things are negative out here, on the inside, there's a sense of hope and peace. And that we can look to you right in the middle of this. We thank you for that. Thank you for that hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, before we go, I, I, I want to ask you this. Could you relate some maybe to my story? You had a relationship with God, you went away from Him? Or maybe you're saying to yourself, you know, I've never had a relationship with the Lord, but I'd like to have one. We're going to say a prayer. If you're on one of our online forums, you can click a little, a little box down there, but I want you to say this prayer with us. I'll lead you in it. And you can just say it um, and just say it from your heart. Say it out loud so you can hear yourself. But we're gonna, th this is a powerful prayer. It's not joining us. This is a prayer that connects you with a risen Savior who is our hope and our help. Say, Dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.